Oh, such a great, such a great story, hey? I'm really keen to get into this one with you. Um, so I thought that I'd start with uh, a couple of uh, memes in honour of Pete Coe, who's not here. All right, so we've got a couple of memes. Um, what do we got? So do you ever see something and wonder, how did that happen? Uh, look at that, how did... Like, what? What? doesn't make sense. <laughs> anyway, next. This... Like, can you get your head around this one? Like, how did that tree, has that tire been there for like 30, 40 years? Or, I don't know. Um, so that's, that's just, I just can't get my head around. I have no words. <laughs> yeah. This is just, this is just funny. This is just funny. Um, he must have been climbing up, fell down the top, or did he try to climb in from the bottom? Or <laughs> can't figure out this one. Yeah, next one. Yeah, so yeah, I always see like car accidents and I'm always like, oh, how did that how did they get into that car accident? Which angle did they come from? But that's just unexplainable. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah. Oh yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> how did that happen? Oh we'll, we'll take that one off. Um so I guess today as we come to um two kings, we we come to this incredible story, right? It's 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 the it's the salvation of this guy called Naaman. Um and we have to ask the question, how did that happen? See, it's particularly interesting um, because the people reading this story at the time were Jews. Um, and they were reading this story, and the thing about Naaman is he wasn't a Jew. He, he was a Gentile. Um, so the Jews were special people. They, they were chosen by God to be his people that worshipped him, but, and the Gentiles were everyone else. See, the, Naaman, Naaman was from Syria. He had no affiliation uh, with the God of Israel. So it's interesting that this guy comes along and has this encounter with God and gets healed. Yeah. See, but he wasn't just a Gentile. See, Na- Naaman was, he, he was one of those people who really shouldn't have been interested in God. He was rich, he was successful, he was proud, he was the commander of an army. And um, on top of that, we also have to remember that this was a politically unstable time for um, the nation of Israel. It was a dark period. The nation of Israel was on the decline as Bad king after bad king, tyrant after tyrant, just kept coming through the leadership. Um, they brought foreign gods in, and idols into Israel, um, and they just kept bringing Israel further away from where God wanted them. Um, so Israel and the kings continued to go against God's commands and rebel. It, that sounds a bit like America right now, isn't it? <laughs> so we can see that in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of all of this darkness, we're going to see how... Is that better up here? Yes. Okay. You're going to see how... Um, we're going to see how God shows that He is still faithful in bringing um, salvation to all people, to all nations. Right? This is a, it's a continual theme, as we've been going through in the last two weeks, continual theme in the book of Kings. Um, that in the midst of darkness, God is still in the business of saving people. And it all begins with an encounter with God. So we've got three points. Uh, roadblocks on the road to encountering God, um, the marks of a true encounter with God, and the reason uh, people encounter God. Uh, how about I pray, and we'll get into the passage. Uh, Father, with uh, all that is going on in the world today, we thank you that your word holds um, these timeless truths. Um, it reminds us of your faithfulness and uh, your unchanging character. Uh, so, Father, as we open your word now, just uh, soften our hearts. Um, help me to speak with clarity, uh, with faithfulness, as uh, we seek to hear from you. Amen. All right. So... We'll start off in verse 1. So enter Naaman. Right, he's the commander of the Syrian army. 
was a great man, um, highly regarded by his peers, victorious in battle, a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So Naaman, he had it all going for him, right? He had a wife, he had a slave, he had a victory. Oh, oh. Sarah just laughed and I'm just like, did really? <laughs> he had... So he had victory in battle, meaning all the loot from the battle he, he took home with him. So we can assume he was pretty well off. He, he was living the Syrian dream, um, whatever that is. <laughs> Kebabs and baklava. <laughs> Except for the fact that he had leprosy, right? So those of you who know what leprosy is, it isn't a pretty disease. It, it starts off as a painless spot, right? But it's progressive. It gets worse. And um, it slowly eats away at the flesh. And you know, it, really gets, it gets really bad. Uh, parts of your body actually start falling off. Um, so there was no treatment in these early days. So Naaman was quickly realizing that he was falling apart, quite literally, uh, and he needed, he needed some help. So what does he do? What does he do? He takes a tip from a servant go, girl, we'll come back to her later, and he goes to the king. So let's pick it up, um, verse 4, if you're following on in your Bible. Um, verse 4. So Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, by all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman's initial reaction about after, after hearing about a cure is to get it sorted out as soon as possible. Right, he's being proactive. First chariot out of Syria tomorrow morning. You know, he's going to head to Israel with all his money. He's going to get himself healed. Um, so being a physio myself, my job is basically to heal people. Thank you. Yeah, but, you know, um, physical problems, it's, it's pretty much my job, right? Um, but do you guys know what, what's the most common injury that we see in the clinic? Any guesses? ACLs, ankle sprains. Yes, the physio knows. <laughs> yes. And what, 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 what's the cause? What sport? Oz tag and touch. Oz tag and touch, straight up, number one. Kenzie, watch out, man. Shut those ankles. <laughs> um, so I remember there was a guy once who came into the clinic um, and he sprained his ankle playing Oz tag, uh, but he still had to go to work that day. So he went to work and he strapped off his ankle. Um, but it turns out that he ran out of that, you know that brown sports tape? that people use to, to strap up joints. So he ran out of that, but he was a tradie. So do you know what he used? Duct tape. <laughs> he duct taped his ankle for a whole day, came to the clinic after work with a smelly foot with duct tape on his ankle. And I was like, oh, okay, good fix. Um, so this guy's automatic reaction, it was to try to fix his own injury, right? It was trying to fix his own brokenness. Um, and that's sort of what Naaman's doing here, isn't it? Right, Naaman, he wants to go to the king with a chocolate of cash, thinking that he might be able to pay something or do something in order to be healed. But God was actually using this to show him something else on his road to encountering God. So let's keep reading. Um, verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? So, again, in this context, we have to understand that religion and state, they were intertwined, right? So, just like if, um, like you'll notice that a lot of Indians are Hindu, you'll notice that a lot of Chinese people are Buddhist, 
um, in the Vietnamese um, culture, you quite a lot of Catholics and Buddhists uh, in this area. Um, so Na Naaman thought that Israel operated just like that, like every other nation. So if you wanted to access their God, then you go straight to the king. All right, so, but Israel, they operated differently to that, in, in that God's prophet or messenger operated independently of the king. So since God was a holy, transcendent God, who was not made by man, he was not under the rule of human kings. And so the prophets, God's spokespersons, they were, they were separate. They were separate. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? That Israel's king, the man that has leadership over God's people, doesn't even realize that he has the power of God in a prophet who can heal. He doesn't realize that. He tears his robes and he freaks out when Naaman comes to him. And this speaks pretty loudly about how far Israel had lost sight and fallen away from being the people that God wanted them to be. Right, so Naaman came to the king to be cured, but the king couldn't help him. See, so earthly kings... The earthly powers, they can't help us to encounter the living God. Let's keep going through the passage. Verse 8. So when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Fafa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them and be cleansed? And he turns off, turned and went off in a rage. See, so... The prophets, right, they were God's speakers. They were specially appointed spokespersons of God. So they represented God's word, and they also relayed God's word to the audiences. So the third roadblock to encountering God is, is, is ignoring God's word. So we see that the prophet Elisha responds here in two interesting ways. Firstly, notice that, the, that Elisha doesn't go out himself to heal Naaman. He sends a messenger right so he sends a messenger secondly notice that elisha gives naaman a very simple instruction here he says wash yourself in the river seven times right so why does elisha do this there is a purpose well firstly elisha sends a messenger almost as an insult to naaman right, did you see how naaman rocked up at elisha's door he came with his army and chariots just what just he wanted to impress elisha with his military power Right? He came as though he was in charge, as, um, as though he had power. It, it's kind of like if you went for, like when you're going for a job interview for a big firm. Um, you know, unless you're a somebody, you're probably not going to have a job interview with the CEO, the big boss. The, the, the chances are you're going to meet another manager, someone further down the corporate ladder. Right? So as Elisha sends a messenger, he's basically showing Naaman that <laughs> he's a nobody. Right? Yeah, a humble Naaman. Secondly, Elisha delivers that simple instruction to wash in the river. Why the simple instruction? Well, think about it like this. Any Lord of the Rings fans? Besides Dan, <laughs> yeah, we've got some Lord of the Rings fans. Well, no, Dan, come on, man. So what, if, so what if Elisha said to Naaman here, right? He said, go, take your army, take your chariot, form a fellowship, 
find me the ring of power, go deep into Mordor, destroy it, and then I'll heal you. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if Elijah said that to him? Or, or go take a chariot, call on the eagles, defeat the orcs, and, and then I'll heal you. Like something heroic, something big. But that would have been something that Naaman would have understood because he was, he was an army officer. Right? He, but not only that, in his religion, it was all about doing something to appease the gods. Like, like bar worship, like we heard about a couple of weeks ago. If, if they sacrificed more, if they did more religious stuff, that they would receive more blessing. So you see, for Naaman, this is really hard to swallow because of who he was. He was expecting a great flashy miracle, but Elisha just told him to just simply come, simply wash. So we see in verse 13 and 14 here that after Naaman cools down a bit, Naaman's servants plead with him to talk some sense into him. So Naaman's gone off in a rage, verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So the purpose of Naaman's healing being so ordinary is actually to humble him, right? It's, he had a problem, Naaman had a problem, but his leprosy was not just on his skin, it was, it was, it was in his heart, right? The, the problem wasn't just external, it was an internal issue. Naaman's problem, it was pride. And the problem with pride is that it leads us away from God. It tells us that we don't need God, that I can fix myself. So he was, Naaman, he was a proud, respectable, high-achieving alpha male, right? So if I, in a moment of just brain explosions, he, he ignores the prophet, he goes off his own way, and he thinks that he can heal himself. He just washed in you know, the George's River or something like that, right? So he's, he's used to doing and achieving, but now he just needs to receive. So we hear, see here that God in his sovereignty, he uses these chain of events, the messenger, a simple instruction, and Naaman's servants to humble Naaman, to help him admit that there was nothing that he could do to heal himself. See, Naaman first needed to be humbled to be healed. And it's in this place, in humility, that Naaman obeys God's word through Elisha, washes in the river seven times, which is the number of perfection in the Bible, and he encounters the healing power of God. So, for us, when it comes to our own brokenness, you know, how, how often do we do the duct tape thing? How often do we try to fix it ourselves, right? Some examples. But maybe when we realize that, I don't know, we're addicted to social media or gaming. We spend too long on it. You know? We realize that it's becoming an idol. Now, what do we do? One way is to, okay, delete all apps. We, we delete the games. We, we say, okay, I'm only going to go on for one hour each day. Or I'm going to go cold turkey, not going to do it for a whole month. All right? We're going to try really hard to stop. We go for the discipline, the self-control route. Or, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know, how, I don't, I don't know what some of you guys are thinking and, and what, what you guys think about during the week. Maybe you have all of these um, insecurities that no one knows about. Insecurities. And you, you, maybe you're continually comparing yourself. You, you wish you were um, as good-looking as Clem. Or, <laughs> or as you could be more gifted or mature, or <coughs> confident. You know, you, you, I don't know, so you try to be more self-aware. You, you, know, you just tell yourself to stop, but you know, in your head, it's just, it's just a downward spiral. This, this insecurity just keeps coming to the surface. Well, like Elisha, 
Jesus calls us to simply come. Not to fix ourselves up, not to defeat armies, not to do, but to receive. To come to the foot of the cross in humility and in weakness. See, Jesus wants us to see that we can't fix ourselves. So he says, come to me and encounter the healing power of God, the healing power of the God of Israel. All right, we're coming to our second point. The marks of a true encounter with God. All right, we're going to go through these pretty quickly so we can get to our third point. Okay. <clears throat> so after this conversion experience, <clears throat> we see that Naaman, now he's a, he's a changed man. All right, so we're going from verse 15 to 19 here. It's a climactic point. Verse 15. So Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And this is an incredible statement, right? Don't forget, this is a Gentile man with no strong theology, no understanding of the Bible, acknowledging this theologically strong truth in front of Elisha, that Yahweh is the one true God. It's a complete shift in his worldview, right? He has shifted from this um, polytheistic, right, lots of gods, to a monotheistic view, one God. In Syria, he would have worshipped multiple gods and goddesses along with their own religions and rituals. But after coming and encountering God, he acknowledges the truth that God of, that the God of Israel is the only true God. And this is actually a similar story to many of us, right? Like, one, one of the things I've really enjoyed in our CGs is um, most weeks we start off our time, um, well, we start our time just sharing testimonies. We, we got to really, really know how we all came to know Jesus and how um, God changed our life. Um, and it's funny that in this church alone, we've got people from all different backgrounds. We've got people who've grown up in church, from Buddhist families, from, uh, who are atheists, who've never had anything to do with God. And so you hear the testimonies, you notice that they all have something in common, right? They get introduced to God by a person or a friend or, like we heard the other week, a bumper sticker. And, you know, they start investigating and they start learning. And, and during a period or time or maybe there's an, an exact moment when they knew you know, God makes himself clear to them. It, it, it clicks. They know that God loves them, that, that he is real. And it's, you know, it's funny that it's often, often it's during times of immense suffering. You know, like people lose loved ones, you know, relationship breakdowns, they lose their jobs, their meaning of life is, is, is gone haywire. And, and it's times like these when they realize that they can't solve their problems. And so they turn to God. They, they turn to others. And often it's in these times when people have no choice but to rely on God that, and, and they encounter Him and they admit the truth that He is real. So that's the first one, right? the first point. The mark of a true encounter with God involves admitting the truth. That God is the true and living God. Secondly, I think, yeah. Another mark of a true encounter with God is when people become Christians, they have a looser grip on material things, on possessions. See, so after people receive the gift of eternal life, material things of the world, they, they, they fade away. Money becomes money. Jobs becomes a means to be generous with that money. Uh, so if you notice at the end of verse 15, Naaman's first reaction is actually to give Elisha money like a gift of thanks. He came on this journey with 10,000 whatever pieces of silver wanting to pay out, but now I've been healed. His money didn't really serve the same purpose. His, he got a free gift so he could just be generous with that. He could be generous with that money. So, you know, as I've been studying this whole Naaman story, um, I've actually 
been thinking of people who've become Christians at VCC since we started. And that's really awesome. It's one of the most encouraging things about our church is that um, as we started this church, it's always been about reaching Bankstown and having people come to know Jesus. Um, and that's actually happening, and, and that's awesome. So, um, Ray's not here. Oh, Ray's not here today. But anyway, you guys know Ray? You guys met Ray? Raymond Sue? Glasses? Smiley guy? Um, works at Combank? Oh, yes. Affectionately known as Swan Man. There's a reason for that. So, soon, soon after he became a Christian, right, he actually got this idea to start a business selling inflatable swans. Have you seen those on, on, on social media? Like, they're the giant flamingos and swans and unicorns. They're, like, really big. And you can buy them for, like, 50 bucks online or something. Anyway, he decided to start a business selling them. Right? But it wasn't just a business idea. As I was talking to him, um, I think we're on the way back from the Snowy Mountains. I think some of us went, yeah. Um, he, he started it with the intention and desire to give his extra earnings to the poor. Right? He, he really wanted to help the poor with his money. See, but money just became money. Because of what God had done in his life, he, he had this new vision that he wanted to be generous with what he had. And so it's just awesome that out of the joy knowing everything we need is in Christ, that we can give and have a looser grip on our possessions. All right, thirdly, new desires. All right, Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says, um, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. All right, <clears throat> heart of stone, remove from you heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Okay, so the Bible says in Ezekiel that when someone becomes a Christian, God gives them a new heart and a new spirit. He replaces their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. And it's out of this heart of flesh that the Spirit brings about new desires. So like Raymond, after encountering God, instead of wanting to make money for selfish gain, he wanted to give. Um, for me, after I became a Christian, instead of chasing after worldly success and pleasures, I just wanted to serve God with everything. I wanted to tell people about Jesus. I wanted to teach youth group on Friday nights instead of going out with friends. Like, these are the joys and desires that spring up um, when you've had a real encounter with God. Um, so even with Naaman, we see how he wanted to please God in the situation and place he was in. So if we read um, verse 17 to 19... Um, yeah, can, can we get it up, Jeff? Thanks, man. All right. <clears throat> it says, uh, so this is after Naaman tried to give some money to Elisha, and Elisha says no. Uh, verse 17, if you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. All right. So the temple of Rimon was basically the Syrian equivalent of Baal worship. Right? So Rimon was another god that the Syrians worshipped. So Naaman realized that he would have to go to back, back to work on Monday. Right? Yeah, he meant that he'd have to go back to work and he'd have to bow down to other gods and offer sacrifices with his master. That was his job. And so he asked for earth that he could build an altar on to worship God in. All right, so we have to realize that the worship of, of idols wasn't something Naaman could really get out of. Yeah, right? He was a Gentile. Right? Maybe the first in his region. 
Right? There, there were no temples or places of worship in Syria. He was probably the first convert in his country. So, you know, he didn't have any Jewish brothers he could just gather with or, or Christian brothers he could just gather with, right? Naaman was, and, and, and Naaman was still a very young Christian. He still didn't have it all sorted out. Do realize that God was not confined to place. He didn't have to go to a temple of worship. Um, but we see here there's a desire, isn't it? There's a new desire here to integrate his faith with his work. Yeah? So when you become a Christian, God becomes central in everything you do. He changes you completely. He gives you new desires to see things out of a new heart. We'll see with Naaman, he had this desire to um, go into the temple, but not worship, but not, not, not bow down um, in the same way that he would worship the Lord. He, he has a desire that, um, to set up his own temple sort of worship place with the earth that he takes from Israel. Um, he's integrating his faith with his work. See, work isn't just work. It's, he wants to make it a place that he can glorify God in. So he has this new desire to please God when he returned to his country, but he also asks that he can be forgiven for the times that he would fail. And Elisha, understanding this, says, go in peace. All right. So that brings me to my final point. The secret. The reason anyone can encounter God in the first place. We're going to go back to the start of the text here. And take you back to the significant person we may forget to pay attention to in this text. Um, if we go to verse 2. <coughs> verse 2. It says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken a captive, a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's right, wife. See, the servant girl from Israel, right, she, you know, she was taken away from her family and her home on a raid. I um, mean, in those days... The wars weren't nice. You know, there was blood, there was torture, there was killing. You know, Naaman probably killed this girl's family, right? But here she is, serving the man who was her enemy. Right? She had every right to hate Naaman. You know, when she found out that Naaman had leprosy, she could have said, you know, I hope you rot. I hope one of your fingers falls off. Or like, I hope, I don't know, I hope you walk in the door and you lose an arm or something. I don't know. But, you know, if I, instead... What does she, I don't know, it's like analyzing here a bit, but instead, in verse 3, she tells him of the man of God in Israel who could heal him. Now, what, what causes her to do this for her enemy? See, it's in this simple act we see that instead of anger or revenge, she showed grace. Instead of hating Naaman, she loved him. Instead of condemning him, she forgave him. And in God's providence, in this story, everything hangs on this little girl. Right? Without her, Naaman would never have been healed. There wouldn't have been salvation. So it's interesting that throughout the Bible, right, salvation always comes through weakness. Through a servant girl, through um, Leah, Hannah, Sarah, the, the women too old to have children. It's, it's never the person you think. It's, it's through Moses who was um, scared to speak, through widows, through prostitutes, um, lepers. Right, so this servant girl, she, she has no mother or father. She's living in exile in a foreign land. She's lowest of the lowest possible social status. And she's in the midst of all this political chaos. Yet she spoke and stirred the chain of events that led to Naaman's salvation. So over and over again, all the way through the Bible, salvation always comes through the weak, always comes through the unwanted, through the rejected. But why? 
because ultimately salvation came through weakness too. See, Jesus came to earth not, not in strength to say, if you want to be saved, follow me. No, he doesn't say, go, defeat armies, defeat your sins, you know, live a good life. No, no. Then nobody would be saved because nobody can actually live the life that, that you should live. Right? We, we're all sinful. But he came to earth in weakness. He came to earth like this little servant. Jesus, Jesus, lost, Jesus lost his father, right? Jesus, Jesus lived as an exile from heaven. He was a foreigner to this world. He, but he, and, and he suffered. He went to the cross and, and he died for our sins. See, see, Jesus paid the price to forgive his enemies. So when we ask God in, for forgiveness, Jesus, he takes our sins upon himself so God can accept us and receive us. And we can receive God. So in a sense, biblical salvation is by the weak, for the weak. Right? We, we think about other religions, we're thinking about it's by the strong, for the strong. Right? It's, it's about being strong enough. If you live this way, then, you know, good on you, you can be saved. But Jesus came and said, you'll never live the way you want to live. Now, I've come to die in your place so that you can be saved. Only if you admit that you're weak, admit that you're nobody, and be willing to admit that you have to be saved by sheer grace. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter how messy or broken or leprous your heart is. You know, there is healing in the God of Israel. You come to the servant who came to serve, not to be served. Yeah? So before you even think about all the things you're going to do you know, as you plan 2017, before we think about all the things and ambitions we can do for God in mission, in ministry, firstly come to Jesus, admit that, you are not self-sufficient. Admit that you can only be strong in Him. And in the midst of chaos, in the midst of all this political upheaval, like you know what's going on in America, now hope we're that reminder that through this story, that God's purposes are always bigger. Yeah, that He's always faithful. So amongst the madness, Jesus is still sitting on His throne, right? Jesus' commission for us is still the same. It's still about the salvation of people. It's still to go to bring people to know Jesus. Yeah. So like the servant girl that God uses to forgive, to bring restoration and salvation to people like Naaman, Jesus tells us to go, to forgive, to do the same. I'll end with a quote from Lord of the Rings. You know, as Gildor, the elf says to Frodo, to, says of Frodo Baggins, he says, courage is found in the most unlikely of places. So if you're a Christian, God is faithful in bringing the most unlikely people to salvation. And this is using the courage of weak but willing servants. So take heart. How about I pray?